Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. This is our 194th episode, and over 194 episodes, we've had messages from people, little uh, incidents of synchronicity, perhaps uh, elements of coincidence involving the show, and uh, here's an example. This just came in moments ago from R.B. Lewis. You guys, this is crazy. I work in a library and often listen to your podcast while at work. And just as Jethro was talking about the Bruce slash Brenda story, I was putting away the book, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Girl, which is about that. Wow. I had a little freak out and was very happy nobody around me heard me as I screamed, oh my God, very loudly. This isn't the first time I've listened to an episode that covers something that I had just been thinking about, but it was definitely the first time it happened in real time. Anyway, love your podcast, and I'm really bummed that I caught up, and now I have to wait for the next episode. By the way, if you've listened to every episode, those of you who have accomplished that feat, um, you now have the, uh, you've been awarded the coveted title of Major Freak. Which is just something I made up on the spur of the moment. So. Yeah, I was going to say, major yeah. freak. Major freak. Is that uh, above or below general freak? That's that's slightly below. Oh, okay. Yeah. I get them confused. Actually, it should be the other way around because a general freak is j- a general freak, but a major freak is major freak. I guess it depends on the kind of scale you're using. It's very confusing, much like being a freak is. Any hoozle, welcome back. We're glad that you're here. It's nice to see you again. And um, we are getting very excited because we're about to go on a cruise. But before that, we uh, we get to do a show in Washington, D.C., which which we're very excited about. And tickets are available if you'd like to join us at the D.C. Comedy Loft. The show is going to be on the 29th, which is Wednesday. And uh, there are seats available. We would love to see you. It's the uh, the first show in our What You Got For Me Live Tour 2020. So what do you got? I'm oh. excited. Okay. 
Kelsey sent us a message on Instagram, and she said, Hi, Kat. And Jethro, question mark, and then asked if he if you actually got on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and no. then she mentioned uh, her experience with uh, this topic. And and then I wrote her back and I was like, yes, thank you. I'm absolutely going to look into this. I will certainly not tell Jay about it. OK. Yeah. That's, so that's fair. I've stolen this idea mm-hmm. just for me. Ha 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 ha. We're going to talk about the the Moirocky boulders. The Moiraki boulders are unusually large and spherical boulders lying along the stretch of the Kokahi Beach on the west coast of New Zealand between uh, Moiraki and Hampton. We've done this one. No, we have not. No, we haven't. Stop your ass face from making... you Fuck you ass. (laughs) No, we haven't done this one. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you you look so pleased with yourself right now. It's I just really terrible. I just really enjoyed that reaction. It's terrible. It's, I love you. What you did. <laughs> Proceed. So the, <laughs> the formations are called concretions. Now, according to the Maori legend, the origin of the boulders dates from the loss of the Arete Utu, one of the large sailing canoes that came from distant Hawaii. They explained them as the remains of the big melons and potatoes and baskets that had to be thrown overboard uh, to save the the ship from sinking. Okay. Uh, It was was part of the legend Mm. of this ship going down or the canoe going down. And that's how these uh, formations were created. How big are they? They it varies. We're getting there. Well, if they're supposed to be like fruit, are they fruit sized is what I'm wondering. Some of them are fruit sized. Some of them are car sized. So are they implying that that back in those days in the South Pacific that. Islands that there were fruit the size of Buicks? I don't think that's what they were implying. But you know how ancient legends about the formations of certain things go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always line up with what we see and make a lot of sense. The earth is not a turtle shell, you know, but... Do we know definitively, though, that there were not automobile-sized fruit? So what you're asking me now is if, at this time, Mm -hmm. these people were familiar with fruit the size of a Buick... Mm -hmm. And that's why, okay. The reason I ask is because I had a dream that I ate an apricot the size of a Nissan Sentra. And I was thinking maybe it was another one of those synchronicity things Mm -hmm. like we hear about all the time involving this show. I'm just going to continue. Some say that these are alien eggs. Uh, which uh, apparently uh, had been laid in the ocean. I don't know. Mm. You know, it's one of those things Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. they aren't particularly unique. Alien eggs? No! God damn it! What is happening today? Why are you doing this to me? (laughs) I'm feeling excessively playful. (laughs) So there's a place called Valley of Balls, or Toryish Valley, in... Kazakhstan, and there's a stretch of uh, semi-desert landscape, which is covered in concretions, ranging from tiny marble sizes to huge boulders, again, nearly the size of a Nissan-sized apricot. It's crazy. 
There, there's a place called Rock City, part of a Kansas state park, uh, featuring nearly 200 large sandstone concretions, uh, claimed to be the largest such collection on Earth. And there, the roughly spherical boulders have grown to nearly 30 feet across. So they grow. They grow. Okay. Continue. In the Australian outback, a crop of iconic concretions known as Devil's Marbles, or Carlu Carlu, which literally translates to round boulders, are connected to a variety of ancient legends, and they hold great spiritual significance for many of the Aboriginal people. And those stories are passed down through generations, and I tried to find some of those, but uh, the word is that they don't share them with non Aborigine, and so that's why I couldn't find them. Or, you know, maybe I'm just not very good at Googling. Who knows? <laughs> In southwest China, near the village of Gulu, there's a cliff that has a very mysterious talent, which is, they call it the cliff that lays eggs. And it is the cliff side where you will see these concretions becoming more and more exposed as the cliffside wears away, and then the concretions fall to the ground. So it's like the cliff is taking a dump. Yes, the cliff is taking a dump. And they're highly prized spiritual dumps that people take home for good luck. Even the ancient Klerksdorp spheres found in South Africa, uh, some claim are concretions. Are those the ones that are perfectly spherical and have like the grooves mm-hmm. in them that look like they've been machined in? Yes. They find they have found those in strata suggesting that they are millions of years old. Hundreds of millions of yes. years old. But yet they look like they were made that they were machined. There are many people who suggest that that is evidence of time travel. And it's not. It's probably a concretion. No, it's it's time travel. So in New Zealand, the most striking aspect of these boulders is that they are very large and uh, they range anywhere from about uh, three feet across to anywhere seven feet across. Uh, Most are spherical or almost spherical. And those that aren't are slightly elongated parallel to the, the land that they're on. So they might look more like a biscuit. So those time travel spheres... Um, I saw a YouTube video where a guy saws them in half to see what's inside of them, and they're full of sand. Detailed analysis of the fine-grained rock using uh, optical mineralogy, x-ray, crystallography, which I don't think I said that right, and electron microprobes has determined that the boulders consist of mud, fine silt, and clay, and they are cemented by calcite. Yeah, that's what they say, but how did the finely machined grooves in the middle of them take place? You know, I debated about including the Clerkstorp spheres in this story because we're talking about... Yeah, but time travel, though, <laughs> sweetie. Son of a bitch. You can buy them on eBay. You so know. the degree of cementation varies from being uh, relatively weak in the interior of a boulder to quite hard on the outside rim. They're actually harder on the outside than they are on the inside. Right. Inside's quite soft, mm-hmm. outside quite hard. This comes from Wikipedia. The rock making up the bulk of the boulder is riddled with large cracks called septaria that radiate outward from the hollow core lined with uh, calcite crystals. 
the process that created the septaria within the boulders and in other concretions remain an unresolved matter for which a number of possible explanations have been proposed. So, okay, overall, on a basic level, what is a concretion? So, a concretion is a hard, compact mass of matter formed by the precipitation of mineral cement within the spaces between particles, and it's found in sedimentary rock or soil. So, they are... The word concretion is derived from the Latin meaning together and to grow. So concretions form within layers of strata that have already been deposited. Detailed studies have demonstrated that concretions form after sediments are buried, but before the sediment is fully lithified during diagenesis. So before rock formation happens, there's a period where these concretions are capable of being formed. So typically they are formed when a mineral precipitates and cements sediment around a nucleus. And that nucleus is often organic. So it's kind of like a pearl. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Oftentimes it can be like a leaf or a tooth, or a piece of a shell, or a fossil. And so for this reason, fossil collectors commonly will break open the concretions in their search for fossilized animals and plant specimens. Mm -hmm. So the Katiki boulders, which are found on the north-facing shore of Shag Point, um, which is about 12 miles south of where the Moiraki boulders are found. These concretions occur as both spherical cannonball-sized and like uh, disc-shaped or oval concretions. And these often will contain the bones of mosasaurs and plesiosaurs. Wow. I did not know that. So they're probably just remnants of time travelers' barbecues. So the Moiraki boulders are concretions created by the cementation of the Pliocene mudstone. And they've been exhumed by coastal erosion. So the main body of the boulder started forming in what was marine mud near the surface of the Paleocene seafloor. And then as there was erosion, they became unearthed. The Piranha Basin in South America has concretions containing fossilized fish preserved in three dimensions, providing really unique snapshots of the past. Some of the fossils even show larger fish in the process of eating smaller fish. Shut right the fuck up. Yeah. So researchers at Nagoya University have analyzed dozens of these concretions from three sites across Japan, England, and New Zealand. So it's like a little snapshot. A fish is going along and he's looking for a meal and he sees a smaller fish and he opens up his mouth. He's just about to swallow it. And then what happens to make them three-dimensional fossils that we find in these time travel balls? Well, any number of things could have happened. You know, maybe there was some sort of uh, ecological change. Maybe he choked on the fish. I don't know. Mm, Okay. But... Uh, Researchers at Nagoya University have uh, analyzed these concretions, and even though they were thought to have taken hundreds of thousands to millions of years to form, instead, they instead apparently grow at a very fast rate over several months or years. Wow. So that might explain why fossils found inside are so well-preserved. Okay. Have they ever found anything modern like beer cans or, say, plastic bags? They found things, yes. 
And we're getting to that. So as an animal or a plant dies, the remains become embedded in the layers deposited on the bottom of the lake or the sea, and the decaying organic matter releases calcium. That reacts to form the mineral calcite. The calcite then cements together the sand and the clay particles. This happens quickly before the animal or plant decays completely, which helps preserve that fossil and sometimes a 3D fossil. Crazy. Yeah. So it's almost like if you were to drop a like a droplet of glue mm-hmm. in sand and then the the form that would eventually come out of that the decomposing calcite releasing organic body uh, is the glue so more and more sediment is cemented together over time that forms the hard compact concretion around the fossil and as soon as the formation of calcite stops there's no more calcium present in the sediment so it stops growing Erosion then removes the softer sediment around the concretion and leaves these balls. So it kind of smooths it out when it, when uh, the erosion takes place. No, there's really no smoothing. It just grows that way. It grows in all directions at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Some of the most unusual concretion nuclei that have been found are in an English coastal salt marsh where they have found World War II military shells, bombs, and shrapnel inside concretions. There are special kind of concretion that are called side-right concretions. So some of these could contain live munitions. Sure. Some of them could explode. Sure. Especially yeah. in certain parts of the world. Probably wow. you don't have to worry about it so much on the coast of New Zealand. but We just don't know. We don't know, Claire. It could be. Ancient alien theorists say yes. Probably not. So that's concretions. And that is how we happen to have the Moiraki boulders. Thank you so much to Kelsey for that suggestion. Well, I think it's a, a plausible theory, what you've put forward as to the cause of, of these. Oh, you think that yeah, all it's, of the research plausible. that I went through yeah. and the, the many, many sites that yeah. I uh, I visited and the sources that I yeah. Spoke it's, about it's plausible. It's, it's possible. It's, it's a plausible theory. Yes. Sure. Yeah. I'm really glad. It's that more you... likely uh-huh. that that it was garbage from a time traveler's picnic. Uh huh. If I were going to time travel, I'd want to have a barbecue. Uh huh. In fact, I'm writing a a short story based on time traveling barbecue, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of turning it into a like a musical. Sure. Time traveling barbecue. I was thinking that would be part of the overture. I'm going to call it time traveling barbecue. Try not to barbecue any butterflies. And that was a Ray Bradbury reference. (laughs) And now, that thing in the middle. All right, another great question on our freak page, our freak A Box of Oddities group on Facebook. Shauna writes, just curious. In fact... This was Shauna's first post. (laughs) Shauna, you show much promise as a freak. Just curious. You're walking your dog in the woods. He runs ahead. You catch up only to find him eating a dead person. How long before you allow him to lick you? (laughs) I have to be honest. My first thought was, your dog should be leashed. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But yeah, that's not the point. Okay. (laughs) And she says, I'm talking been there a while, like more like maggots. Not like smelly, fresh, or jerky time. Jenny responds, depends on who the dead person is. My husband's ex? I'll get down and gobble that right up with my dog. Connie writes, my dog isn't a licker. Nom away, Benny. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Amy writes, 
If the dog ate something else and had some water, no big deal, I guess. They lick their buttholes anyway, and then your face. That, which is true. Um, not in this house. These dogs do not lick my face. Every once in a while, Willie will get in a lap, but we work hard to keep that from happening. <laughs> Number two, Bethany writes, I'd imagine he'd have a taste for blood now. I'd always think he was just waiting for his chance to eat my body, too. I think this is a game changer. And number one, Sarah says, asking for a friend? Question mark, question mark. Honestly, not sure. My damn dogs eat poop, so I try not to let them lick me anyway. And that's that's an issue in our house. Banjo. Only what, recently. What is going on with Banjo? He He eats the poop in the yard before we have a chance to clean it up. And quite honestly, we don't clean it up that much, especially this time of year. We wait until the spring, and we have the the annual springtime clearing of the poop festival. It's not all the time that he does it, and I don't know if he's, like, missing something in his diet, or I even bought those little tablets that are supposed to stop that, but he still does it every once in a while, and... The last week or so, he's been really good. Like, it, I've seen him sniffing about mm. a couple times, and I'm banjo, mm. no. Mm. And he'll he'll just make his way back over to the stairs. Like, no, I was just, I was yeah, just looking it's at no it. It's anyway. no big deal. No big deal. I used to have a dog, a uh, chocolate lab. And at the time, I owned, I had a couple of horses. And for whatever reason, Maggie, the chocolate lab, loved eating horse poo. Oh, Jesus. And the fresher, the better. Yeah, gross. One day I saw her lying in the pasture under the horse, catching the poop as it fell. That's not true. Oftentimes she'd bring it into the house. That's like, disgusting. Like, here here you go. Here's something for you. That reminds me of that episode of The Office where Dwight tells a story about how he used to follow the kitty around asking for treats. Yeah. Anyway. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. 
I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley fool money each weekday on motley fool money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them tune in for insights a long-term perspective on investing and of course stock ideas plenty of them to quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Box. Well, well, someone's got break time. <clears throat> okay, break's over. This is The Box of Oddities. I love our free community. Andrea writes... So I was walking into the room and there's a yellow rubber duck on the dining room table. And I say to my husband, why is there a yellow rubber duck on the table? And he says, that's Wayne. With no explanation, it just carries on with what he's doing. I couldn't stop laughing. I do love my freak of a husband. He always makes me laugh. That is a healthy relationship. (laughs) Any relationship that involves naming rubber ducks Wayne, we're all for. Well done, Wayne. I mean, husband who has a duck named Wayne. <laughs> All right, here's here's an interesting topic for you today. Serial killers and their hobbies. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, side I know hustles. a lot of serial killers are into art. Yeah, well, John Wayne Gacy. Sure. There's a good example. Mm-hmm. He had a little side hustle from his prison cell. And frighteningly, his artwork goes for quite a bit of money. Uh, people actually pay for it. Usually they're clowns. He painted a lot of clowns. Yeah. Yeah. We saw a couple of his uh, clown outfits at the uh, East Alcatraz Crime Museum. Yes, we did. That was startling. The, uh, the I actually included a photo of that in our year in That's review right. video that we posted on the uh, back channel. Our thing. premium channel thing. Yeah. His pogo suit. <laughs> As far as they know, he never killed anyone in those suits. Mm. In 2008, Gary Hilton befriended uh, a hiker whose name was Meredith Emerson. He went on to hold her captive in a cabin for three days. 
and then beat her to death and decapitated her. Oh, Jesus. Now, that's a terrible way to start this topic. It's just, that's rough as hell and well, terrible. There's a lot of weird things about this, but this is probably the weirdest. The murder was almost detail by detail exactly like a really bad straight-to-video horror movie that was released in 1995 called Deadly Run. Oh. It was about a man who captures a woman, actually several, holds them captive in a cabin, then releases them into the woods so he can hunt them. Oh, okay. Which is basically what this guy did. The weirder thing is the movie was made by Gary Hilton. Oh. So he makes this awful film about kidnapping, rape, and murder, and then 13 years later, recreates it in real life. Huh. That's unusual. The guy... Really, though, it kind of uh, narrows down your list of suspects, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, the guy who helped him make the film, his name was uh, Samuel Rail. When he saw that this had happened, he immediately remembered, oh, yeah, crap, 13 years ago we made this movie. and right. now, and But he, when he was uh, interviewed by police, he recalled Hilton as a lover of the outdoors and a really interesting guy mm. with maybe a screw loose. Well, there you go. Emerson was killed 30 miles south of the Georgia cabin where the movie was, was made. Wow. And Hilton was also linked to three additional outdoorsy murders, according to... Cracked. Outdoorsy murders. Yep. That earned him the nickname, the National Forest Killer. You know how I feel about nicknames. I know. Hilton was caught soon after the Emerson murder, sentenced to life in prison. Deadly Run, believe it or not, is still available on Vimeo. If you want to become depressed by the reality subtext in poor filmmaking, that's your film. That's terrible. So I don't really know if filmmaking was the serial killer's hobby or if serial killing was a filmmaker's hobby because he made the film first, So, but he had an interest in filmmaking. Well, I would say that probably he had an interest in in murdering young girls, too, if he made a movie about it. And tried to placate that desire through filmmaking. Gross. In the 1970s, Randall Woodfield played for the Green Bay Packers football team. He was also a very good-looking guy, and he was featured in a nude pictorial in Playgirl magazine. So he is good at two things, basically. He's good at playing football and good at showing his penis to people. What was his name? His name was Randall Woodfield. Unfortunately, he was much better at the latter, the whole showing his penis to people thing. It started when he was in junior high school. He, he played for Oregon's Newport High. He was arrested for exposing himself to a group of women on a bridge. Oh, no. Oh, he really liked it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get it. But his coaches in high school covered it up, and uh, he made it to college with his juvenile record expunged. In college, he joined a Christian student group, and he was thought of as a polite and quiet guy. But he was also convicted of indecent exposure four more times in four years. See, this is why when you're an adult around a young person who does things that are upsetting slash disturbing slash concerning, you don't cover it up and pretend like nothing happened because it will escalate. And then you will read about yourself in some sort of news article years later and about how you were an accessory to murder. Inevitably, it will happen. You mark my words. 
But sweetie, you're missing the point. He was a good football player. I'm having a really hard time finding his nude photos, though. Then in 1974, the NFL draft picked him. Uh, He was picked by the Packers uh, in the 17th round. He had to sign a contract that required him to uh, uphold a certain standard of behavior. Some of the requirements. Do they still do that? Well, I don't know. But back then, the requirement was, one of the requirements was, um, whenever he was in public, he had to wear a jacket and a tie. Oh, yeah. okay. Didn't say anything about pants, apparently, um, because uh, he was arrested again. Oh, no. The Packers cut him. So he was gone. See, that's what you should do when your player murders someone. He didn't murder anybody. You know. Not yet. See, the good news is that uh, the public exposing of himself stopped when he was cut by the Packers. Apparently, he reassessed his his life a little bit. The bad news is he took up other hobbies like robbery, home invasion, sexual assaults, and murder. Oh, Jesus. From the late from late 1980 to early 1981, just a few months, he's believed to have killed anywhere from 18 to 44 people. What? How do you even find the time for I, that? You, I you, guess because you're unemployed. I, I guess. Maybe one of his skills was time management. That's a weird combo. It is. Football, public nudity, time management. <laughs> he's also been linked to 60 unsolved rapes. God. People that knew him said that when he was cut by the Packers, he, he took it hard. <laughs> and um, surviving victims say that when he d- attacked them, he wore a piece of tape over his nose, which is what football players used to do at that time to, I guess, protect their nose or something. I don't know. But he wore a piece of tape over his nose, which is one of the reasons they were able to easily identify him. All right. So football, public nudity, time Mm. management, and stupid. He's more well-known as the I-5 killer. So his hobby was football? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, yeah. He was far more proficient at killing than he was pass reception. Gross. All right, let's talk about Jim Jones. Oh, okay. Jim Jones, the founder of Jonestown, the Jonestown cult in Guyana, and also the humble beginnings of his ministry. We all know how that story ended, right? Jim Jones... Creates Jonestown, French Guyana, brings people down there, makes them drink the Kool-Aid. That's where that term came from. And they all die a mass suicide. Well, humble beginnings to this ministry. Back in the 50s, Jones was outraged at the church he was going to because they would not allow African-American people to be members. Oh. So he said, screw you guys. I'm going to go start my own church where everybody is welcome to join and be eventually murdered. So he goes to start his own church. This is in Indiana. Okay. And how does he raise money? He comes up with this idea. He sold monkeys door to door. Yeah, I remember reading about that. I don't like this guy. He rode a bike around Indianapolis with a, with a cage of monkeys, and he would sell them door to door for $29. And the sales... He was able to raise quite a bit of money, and he started his church, and some of the customers that he bought monkeys from uh, attended, started attending his services. Uh, that bought monkeys from him? Yeah. Okay. People that he would buy monkeys, or that would buy monkeys from Jim Jones, occasionally would start going to his church. Got it. Because there were incentives. If they went to his church- They and, got monkey food for free? No, better oh. than that. And they brought a friend who signed up, 
They got an additional monkey. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Listen, guys, I'm sorry. Monkeys aren't pets. This is very upsetting. Especially when they're in a cage on a bike. That's not right. Can't you just see him, though? A young Jim Jones biking around Indianapolis with a cage full of monkeys in his little bike, going a little bell on his bike. Ching, 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 ching. Ching, ching, ching. Yes? Want to buy a monkey? That was a beautiful play that you just put on. That was all going on in my head. I am enraptured. I just just thought I'd share it with you. So um, his monkey-selling empire uh, came crashing down when a shipment uh, turned up with a bunch of sick monkeys. And so, you know, being a heartless bastard that he was, he didn't want to pay the $89. uh, So he just left the monkeys alone, just abandoned them. Fortunately, all three of the monkeys uh, were nursed back to health by a customs official who fed them bananas and brandy. Oh, wait, what? Yep. Is that like some sort of fancy dessert? Yeah, it's like Like bananas flambe or I don't know. Anyway. Well, Jones's interest in monkeys um, wasn't just financial in nature. He just liked to hang out with them. He when when he was running Jonestown, he had a pet chimp named Mr. Muggs. He said that he rescued Mr. Muggs from an inhumane research facility, but in reality, he just bought it and I mean, then made that story up. Yeah. I think that when you have to lie about where you got your monkey from, that should be cause for some reevaluation. I would think. What was my mom's monkey's name? Your mom had a monkey? Yeah. Wow. But I can't remember. Shit. Why can't I? Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Susie? Anyway, Jim Jones' chimpanzee didn't fare any better than any of his uh, congregation did. Um, he shot Mr. Muggs. What? Uh, the day, on the last day of Jonestown. Yeah. Well, at least he didn't just abandon him to die and be force-fed brandy. I don't know. This is all very upsetting. You're going to need your headphones for this one, sweetie. Oh, okay. All right. Usually when we record the box of oddities, we don't wear headphones, but... I have a little sound clip for you. Thank you. Okay. You're a big fan of audiobooks. You know I we, am. We both are. You know, when you're driving, it's it's nice to have something to listen to. Um, a lot of people use our podcast for that purpose, to while away the hours. But um, do you ever think about the people who do the audiobooks? I know you and I do because yes, we... I've wanted to do audiobooks. We have done, you know, voice work in the past and one of our best friends... William DeFree is is an award-winning audiobook guy. And also... The voice of Bob the Builder. That's right. Yeah, the, the cartoon, the he, American version. He did a um, an X-Files audio uh, as well, and uh, guess who's in it? Me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was that was pretty cool because it actually had David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson doing their parts. He actually went and recorded them doing their parts. And then he said, would you like to be in it? He asked me and I went, yes. So I'm the voice of an alarm. (laughs) You did a great job. You just somewhere in there, you'll hear me go. Section 16 has been breached. Something like that. You're so talented. I know, right? I did a couple of little things like that. I was the voice of an alarm and a voice of a computer. That was it. You're, you're just amazing. (laughs) Well, anyway, back to, uh, Audiobooks. Um, a lot of times you have no idea who is um, recording them. 
there are people that, that make a living doing this sort of thing. Sure. But you never expect it to be this guy. This guy in particular is credited with over 5,000 hours of audio across hundreds of books, including well-known titles like Star Wars and Dune. He is also credited with being a six-foot-nine necrophile with mommy issues. It's Ed Kemper. That's right. The voice of Ed Kemper. Now, Ed Kemper, of course, you know, if you, you watch Mindhunter, you know that uh, Ed Kemper is the co-ed killer. He, uh, he did some pretty horrible things until 1973 when he turned himself in. Uh, he was sentenced to spend the remainder of his days in California, California prison. Uh, he soon earned a reputation for being such a model prisoner. He was put in charge of the prison program that recorded audiobooks. Now, back in those days, they did it primarily for the blind. Right. Or the seeing impaired. And it was not a profitable thing. But he continued to do that. He did more than anybody, and he did them right up until uh, he had a stroke in 2015. Here's Ed Kemper's lead-in to Flowers in the Attic. Chapter 1. Goodbye, Daddy. That's lovely. Um, also, Flowers in the Attic, very upsetting book. <laughs> yes. So it being read by Ed Kemper kind of feels right. <laughs> no, I knew that he did audiobooks, um, and I've heard his voice, obviously, before uh, from interviews and such. Um, so it's... Um, he has a good voice. He does. It's just the whole murdering 10 people thing. That'll set a voiceover artist's career back. Sure will. I would think. Anyway, side hustles for uh, serial killers. Well, that was upsetting. Thank you. Scoochie was her raccoon. <laughs> I love the idea that she may have had a monkey named Susie. That's, that's kind it of It feels funny. right. If you guys would like to support the Box of Oddities, uh, you can do so. What you get for subscribing is ad-free episodes. You get them a day, a day early than anybody else. You also get uh, a bonus episode once a month and access to the back channel. We do appreciate it. If you decide to do that, thank you. It helps us to grow the show. It helps us to take it on the road. That's not cheap. No. <laughs> Especially yeah, when especially we're going to that San Francisco oh trip. God. Holy shit. That, how do you people live? I know. That was crazy. I was blown away. Yes, I will have an omelet, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Would you just like to have my leg instead? Because <laughs> how much are you charging me for this omelet? It is insane. $47. I could not mm. believe how yeah. much we paid to eat there. I went to, we went to a CVS to get some uh, cold medicine and... Just a box of generic CVS cold medicine was like $14. And it wasn't even a large yeah. box. It was just a small little like travel size thing. It's nuts. <sighs> but a beautiful city. And I can't wait to go back. Oh, my gosh. I want to be there now, especially since it's snowing here again. It always makes us feel better, though, whether it's snowing or not, to hang out with you freaks. And for you to give us money. <laughs> no? And we look very much forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things.
Studios. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.